0: Warning, the following show contains explicit language. Certain people should not listen to this show, such as children and panty-waist adults who cry like 12-year-old little girls when they hear profanity. Welcome, my friends, to the Dr. Reality Podcast. I'm Dave Champion. Critical? Race? theory. You cannot go to the media or social media without hearing all about critical race theory. But what is it actually? Yeah, most people don't have a clue. I saw a great tweet the other day, and I'm going to paraphrase it. The gentleman said, if you took people who are enraged about the critical race theory, put them in a room, and told them they could not leave and they could not eat until they factually explained the critical race theory they would starve to death and die. And I think that's pretty true. And I'm going to fix that for you right now. Most intellectual pursuits that eventually become codified as a theory, they don't start out as the theory that you might be exposed to. They start out as something else much earlier, and then they evolve into the thing that comes to your attention. And that is no less true with the critical race theory. This thing everyone's arguing about today, the critical race theory, had its origins. He's in Frankfurt, Germany at the Frankfurt School in the interwar years, and it was simply called critical theory. It was a way of seeing things, and it had nothing to do with race, and they relied upon what they considered to be proper assessment and critique, a reflection on what has come before using proper assessment and critique. It was just a way of analyzing what has come before so that they could project what was likely to occur in the future. It had nothing to do with race, but that's the origin of what everybody's arguing about today. The critical theory was adopted in the 1970s to apply to something which became known as critical legal theory. I want to read you a description of that. Critical legal study adherence claim that laws are used to maintain the status quo of society's power structures. It is also held that the law is a codified form of society's biases against marginalized groups. So, marginalized groups. You might imagine, then, that the people who pioneered critical legal studies were just a bunch of various minorities, right? Well, you'd actually be wrong. Every single person who was involved in the early days of critical legal theory, critical legal studies, however you want to refer to that, yeah, it was exclusively white. It should already be apparent by what we've already discussed so far, but I want to just say this to get it up on the table. The, tr- the word critical, as in critical race theory, I think because most people don't know anything we just talked about, they think critical means criticism, which is one of the several definitions of critical. It's just not the one applicable to the critical race theory. The definition that applies to critical race theory is involving skillful judgment as to truth, merit, etc. An example of usage is critical analysis. So we started with critical theory back in Germany in the interwar years. That then was picked up by a discipline called critical legal studies in the 70s. A branch of critical legal studies began what we now call the critical race theory, which, just like critical legal studies, was isolated to solely the legal profession. So if you go back to the 1970s, critical race theory, which had not really been coined quite yet. If you go back to the people who were discussing what we now call the critical race theory back in the 1970s, it was lawyers. The public wasn't even involved. For most of its existence, the critical race theory remained something only talked about by attorneys at places like Harvard and Cornell Law For years and years, decades, the public didn't even know the phrase critical race theory until just the last couple of years. Now, suddenly, in the last several years, everybody's talking about critical race theory. And, of course, this is the public who, I, I hate to say things like this, but my experience tells me it's true. The masses here in the United States are none too bright. So they think critical race theory means whatever. (laughs) I mean, all the stuff that we just talked about, they have no clue. Zero. It doesn't matter whether you're on the left or whether you're on the right. They don't care what the critical race theory really is. It is whatever's in their pea brain. The critical race theory here as we sit talking in 2021 essentially can be boiled down to two elements. If you believe these elements exist, what to do about them is a whole other discussion we're not going to get into today, but I just want to share with you the two elements that define the critical race theory. Number one, the critical race theory sees racism as systemic and institutional rather than just a collection of individual prejudices. I think that That's flawed, personally, and I'm going to explain why. I'm going to read this again. Critical race theory sees racism as systemic and institutional. I'm going to leave out systemic because that means a whole lot of different things to different people, but let's just focus on the word institutional for a moment. That means it resides in large institutions. Absent, as it says, individual prejudices, right? Rather than just a collection of individual prejudices, is the exact quote. I don't think so. And let me give you an example of what I mean. Let's say we could wave a magic wand and create, suddenly, a nation with a million inhabitants. And that nation had 90% of its population held racist views. So who's populating that nation's institutions? Yeah, 90% of people who are racist. So... Without trying to prove it, because I think common sense dictates this, if you've got 90% of your population is racist and 90% of the population works in these institutions, and those institutions are obviously inherently going to have racial bias and they're going to act in a racist manner. Now... Let's wave our magic wand again and create a second nation again with a million inhabitants. But in this case, you've only got 2 or 3% of that nation's population that hold racist views. We'll call it 2% so we can use 98% as the percentage that doesn't. So then... If 98% of that nation does not have racist views, and therefore 98% of that population inhabits its institutions, that means 98% of the people who work within these institutions are non-racist. It means the institutions are not going to act in a racist manner. So it's not, you can't just say things like systemic and institutional, because it does ultimately come down to what percentage of your population actually not what they say out loud, actually appear in their brain, holds racist views. It absolutely informs you how your institutions are going to act. Element number two, merely making laws colorblind on paper may not be enough to make the application of the law colorblind. In other words, the critical race theory contends that colorblind laws can be applied in a racially discriminatory way. I don't see how anyone could deny that element number two is factual, especially when we have the admissions of the gentleman who was probably the primary mover and shaker for creating the war on drugs. John Ehrlichman was Richard Nixon's chief domestic advisor. He was basically the architect of the war on drugs. And several years ago, he was interviewed by an author, and he made the following statement about the war on drugs. Quote, you want to know what this was really all about? The Nixon campaign in 1968 and the Nixon White House after that had two enemies, the anti-war left and black people. You understand what I'm saying. We knew we couldn't make it illegal to be either against the war or black But by getting the public to associate the hippies with marijuana and blacks with heroin and then criminalize both heavily, we could disrupt those communities, we could arrest those leaders, raid their homes, break up their meetings, and vilify them night after night on the evening news. Did we know we were lying about the drugs? Of course we did. Close quote. The war on drugs is perhaps the quintessential example of statutes that are on their face, race neutral, but were used for decades to go after and silence minorities. So clearly the critical race theory is correct that statutes that are indeed race neutral can be misapplied to go after minorities. I think it's just common sense that the more advancement the United States makes in stopping the errors in jurisprudence that the critical race theory points out, the more advancement we make, the less relevant the critical race theory is going to be. Shouldn't the goal of every single American be to clean up the system to the point where what the critical race theory describes no longer exists? So where does all the strife, the political contention, the clickbait by the news media, Where does all this strife come from concerning the critical race theory? We've gone through the elements and certainly seems to be factual. Ehrlichman certainly confirmed it. I think the first reason for all the strife and the apparent pushback by a certain element of society is their ignorance. They have no idea what it means. So here's what I think they hear. Critical race... Theory is irrelevant to them. Critical race. How they interpret that is, well, Martha, you know what them, that, that's lib speak for all of us white people are evil. I, I really think that's kind of how they perceive it. Critical, they don't see it as the critique or analysis that we talked about earlier on in the presentation, which is the factual origins. They don't see it as that way. They see critical as in, I'm criticizing, and then they see race. So I'm criticizing the white race. <laughs> as nutty as that is, I think that's really how these people who are just just angry as hell about the critical race theory, I think that's how they see it. Like I said, ignorance, mass ignorance. I think the second reason for all the angst and the angry pushback, we saw that article just about a week ago about some school board meeting erupting and going insane over the critical race theory, total bonehead stuff, Okay. So I think the pushback, number one, is the ignorance we just talked about in point one. They really think it means criticizing white people. And so obviously, white parents, if they, in their ignorance, they think it's criticizing white people. Yeah, they, I can understand why white parents wouldn't want their little white darlings educated to believe, you know, white people are the white devils. I, I get that. But, of course, it's not about that. But here's my thinking of critical race theory. As being presented in schools. Schools have all different levels, right? So we have to go back to the fact that the critical race theory came from the critical theory from the Frankfurt School. Then it was critical legal studies. Then it became the critical race theory. All of that within the construct of the legal profession. We're talking about back in the 70s when the critical legal theory first started to uh, take on its current contours. It was a bunch of attorneys sitting around discussing misapplication, uh, whether it's accidental or intentional is a different subject, misapplication of law by which to target minorities. It's a bunch of attorneys discussing how to improve the situation. So here's my view. Something that was discussed by people at places like Harvard and Cornell has no place in K through 12. I have no problem with anybody on the planet, most especially any Americans, learning about the critical race theory. Learn on. You know, the the more knowledge we have in our head, we can decide whether we like something, don't like something, accept it, reject it, think it has merit, don't have merit. So learning is not a problem, right? I think these parents, though, when it comes to like K through 12, they see that the system is trying to brainwash their white kids to believe their white parents are white devil. Okay. So my thing is, it doesn't even belong in K through twelve. I don't. I don't care what race you are. Something being discussed by the elites of the legal profession at Harvard and Cornell doesn't belong in K through twelve. You want to teach it? Teach it to college. Teach it to universities. Teach it where it belongs, not K through twelve. So, if you hung with me through this entire presentation, you now are not one of these boneheads who have no understanding of what critical race theory is and completely make up in their own minds whatever the hell they want it to mean. You now understand where it came from, how it evolved, and what it actually is today. You've seen examples of it play out in the real world that I've shared with you here. So, you have a better understanding. So, I hope this has been very helpful for you. If you'd like to get this kind of clarity on various other subjects, may I encourage you to go to drreality.news, pick yourself up a copy of Income Tax Shattering the Mist. Seriously, guys, it's the income tax is absolutely just as misunderstood as the critical race theory. What Congress has actually done in the law bears no resemblance to what the average American thinks. I'm going to guess probably 95%, 96 97% of the American public thinks a particular way about income tax. And then when you look at what Congress has actually enacted, it has no relevance, no bearing, no similarity, nothing. It's like, wow, how did we get here? So if you want to find out what the law really says, go to drreality.news and pick yourself up a copy of Income Tax Shattering the Mist. As I close, body science, same thing with human physiology. When you look at how the human body actually functions versus what Americans have been told over the last 60 years by the establishment, it's like, no, not at all. That's not what the science says, but it's what everybody believes. So again, if you want some clarity, go to drreality.news, get yourself a copy of Body Science, and thank you for spending a little bit of time with me today.